The following program has language that might be offensive, depending on your definition of might and offensive and your understanding of the language. It's Friday, October 14th, 2022 from Peachfish Productions. It's The Gist and I'm Mike Pesca. Mid-October, that means it's debate season. One of my favorite aspects of debates are when someone tries to uncork a line and it just lands with a thud. Here's Tim Ryan in his debate for Ohio Senator against J.D. Vance. I don't kiss anyone's ass like him. Ohio needs an ass kicker, not an ass kisser. Yeah, he went for the zinger. It didn't really work. Just kind of floated there, wafted there, gathered a little smell. I call it the zinger-linger. There was an example of the zinger-linger in yesterday's debate between Mandela Barnes and Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. So our final question here tonight is, what do you find admirable about your opponent, Mr. Johnson? I mean, likewise, I appreciate the fact that uh, Lieutenant Governor Barnes had loving parents, a school teacher, father worked third shift, so he had a good upbringing. I guess what puzzles me about that is with that upbringing, why is he turned against America? I mean, why, why, why does he find the right. founding of America awful? Right. Somehow, we, it puzzles we me. did not. Not great. The Wisconsin Senate race shows that Johnson has a slight lead, which may be a great lead because last time around in 2020 in the presidential election, Biden was leading by an average of 8.4% and on election day only won by 0.6%. So the thinking is, among some, even a slight lead for Johnson is maybe a big lead for Johnson. The thinking among others is, the pollsters know this and they may be correcting in the other direction. What I do know is this, that candidate quality matters. And it's not just that I know it, it's that Kellyanne Conway tells me it's true. I think what comes down, what will be the difference between a big Republican sweep and maybe something more narrow is going to come down to some candidate quality, particularly Senate races. They have to get through these debates, bring their A game, get their numbers up a little bit, and frankly, do the work. And Mitch McConnell also says when it comes to Senate races, the quality matters. Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Uh, candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. What's hilarious about this to me is that it only gets mentioned in the context of a Senate race. The thinking this year being, and I think this is accurate, that the Republicans should have won, would be in a position to win two or three or four more Senate races if their candidates hadn't been people like maybe J.D. Vance, certainly Herschel Walker, can't blame Ron Johnson, he was already an incumbent. But the fact that it never gets brought up during House races, well, you know, in a Senate race, first of all, Senate's a whole state, quality matters. When it comes to a House race, no, they're just... They're just human beings with a big R or a D attached to them, floating above them like some, I don't know, nasty green spirit in a Mucinex commercial. House candidates put a lot of effort into selling themselves to the public, into crafting their positions, into explaining their biographies, into photo shoots with their kids, maybe wearing matching shirts, maybe not, big decision, into trying to explain to their voters, their constituents, how who they are matches with the voters' concerns. It doesn't matter. They're just giant bags of partisan meat. Candidate quality. The U.S. Senate takes it into account. The U.S. House, where quality is job. Well, way down the line. None? 
on the show today. We shall blow out the spiel because we're going to talk about a candidate whose quality captivated us. That candidate and president was Donald Trump. And some of those people who were most captivated were the founders of the Lincoln Project, the mostly Republican, former communications staffers, experts, gurus, who banded together to tease and needle our former president in the name of democracy. Did it work? Well, documentary filmmakers Fisher Stevens and Kareem Amir got an inside look at the operations of the Lincoln Project in their new Showtime documentary of the same name. Kareem and Fisher, up next, it's a longish interview that will subsume the spiel, but also, I hope, captivate and titillate you, the audience. A ragtag pirate ship of former Republican operatives get together to oppose the re-election of Donald Trump, and that goal was achieved. The story of how this daring group of swashbucklers persuaded America is just that. It's a story. It's part fable, and it is part impressive execution of the dark arts for a noble purpose. I've been involved in a dozen super PACs. None of them had a mission like this. We don't have a client. We weren't here to move some legislative agenda item. We're here to kick the shit out of Donald Trump. The Lincoln Project, an anti-Trump insult wrapped in a fundraising letter surrounded by an attack ad. So many in the media loved outsourcing their ids to this group of consultants led by Rick Wilson, Steve Schmidt, and Stuart Stevens. They had swagger. They gave good quote. They also personally made millions, and I'm not sure how big an effect they had on the election. It's all under consideration in the new Showtime documentary series, The Lincoln Project. The directors of this were Kareem Amir and Fisher Stevens. Gentlemen, welcome to The Gist. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Outsourcing their id, that's a, that's a good one. I might borrow that. I might borrow that. <laughs> that was going on a little bit. You could see the glee when when a Lincoln Project ad dropped. There was glee in the mainstream media, glee along the lines of they're saying what we can't or they're saying it better and more nastily than we ever thought of, right? Yeah, I think that's why Kareem and I wanted to follow them. Um, they, uh, they were masters at that. And um, Originally, I uh, when when COVID hit and I, I lost three friends in the first month and I realized that this president was doing nothing. I got a bunch of actors, directors and writers together to try to raise money to do ads just like that. And when I saw Morning in America, I said, what are we doing? These are the guys. Who are they? There's morning in America. And under the leadership of Donald Trump, our country is weaker and sicker and poorer. And now Americans are asking if we have another four years like this, will there even be an America? Paid for by the Lincoln Project, which is responsible for the content of this advertising. You know, the, the irony of the whole thing was that I have been a political, politically active uh, volunteer since I was young. And uh, these are the guys that I have been fighting against the last probably 25 years for political, you know, I, I, I did volunteer work for for, you know, Gore, Clinton, Gore, <laughs> Kerry, you know, uh, Barack Obama. And these are the guys that 
basically ran the campaigns of the Bushes and, and uh, you know, all the Republican candidates, Dole, Mitt Romney, John McCain. So here we are. And, and uh, Kareem will tell you the story how we met, but Kareem um, is, has been a friend of mine. And uh, Kareem, you, you, you tell us how we met and all that. Fisher and I, you know, met in Tahrir Square uh in 2011 at the height of the arab spring um where you know uh, i was working on a movie uh that ended up becoming called the square and fisher was there um you know as a filmmaker and activist and helped us with the movie and then we began a friendship and have kind of continued to meet each other on like similar battle lines of, of issues we care about <laughs> and uh and yeah this kind of this kind of came together accidentally like we were both very pissed off at what was happening in the country. We felt that, you know, uh, as many people, that the, you know, the four years of Donald Trump were some of the most devastating, the most devastating, you could argue, to the to the American experiment that we had seen thus far. But the idea was, you know, we all hope that America has the ability to course correct. America, as Steve Schmidt says in our, in our doc at the end, like, it does have it does has this duality of kind of an original sin, but of but it's also a place that kind of usually gets better. And uh, and and to see Trump kind of be at the precipice of getting reelected was just uh, something we we couldn't stand by. And you know, and we try to record history when we make these types of movies. And so for us, it was like, what was the most interesting room you could be in? to try and uh during this campaign season and uh we, we found it <laughs> we we found the most interesting room that room is a large utah house that was the nerve center for the lincoln project and it seemed like well there were moments when the and this is the goal of the fly on the wall documentarian there were moments when it seemed these folks the most savvy media operators did realize you were there but for the most part you did blend in wouldn't you say i mean unless there were many parts where that you couldn't use because the subject scurried away you got a lot of access yeah we were really grateful to them and um I, I think both it, Kareem and I kind of pitched to them, let us film you because we thought you guys are going to be the most interesting room during this this election. And um, it was wonderful that they let up two kind of liberal guys into their house, so to speak. Um, and we, 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 the reason we really wanted to also film them is they were coming together sort of for the first time uh, after being a remote operation during the height of COVID. Um, coming together in Park City, where Steve Schmidt and Reed Galen both uh, lived, and also away from the fray of Washington, away from the fray of New York. They wanted to kind of isolate, which they did. And um, we had incredible access, and, and we did feel incredibly privileged to watch these guys work. And just watching them make ads, as you'll see in the film or the series, is, is quite, a, quite a treat to see them. You know, Kareem and I agonize over you know, cutting five minutes of footage for a documentary. Rick Wilson, Steve Schmidt, and Stuart Stevens just rock, they just rock stuff out in like, in like five minutes. That's great. Was it a little like Paul McCartney noodling with the chords that become Get Back? As you watch Steve Schmidt just off the top of his dome, his, his, his bald, shiny dome come up with nearly fully formed, perfect political attack ads. He's the worst president in America in history. He's divided the country. He incited hate and lied to all of us. 
about everything tens of thousands of times. Yeah, we've never seen anything like it, really. I mean, especially coming from fiction and coming from the nonfiction that I think we were coming from. And then you realize, like, why these guys are who they are and why they were so good at their jobs, right? Um, so, so it was, it was a, it was really amazing to watch. And, um, and I have to say, I think Kareem and I wanted to do something during the election and we thought, you know, because we were so flabbergasted and, uh, and worried about the direction of the country. And I think this was good therapy for us too, to watch them, you know, so to speak, uh, lay these ads out and riff on the, the Trump, the way that. We all feel, as you said at the beginning of the podcast. It really felt like a movement, you know? I mean, it's like when we talk about the Lincoln Project in the press, I feel like people always think about the founders, which, of course, is, you know, given the group, that's what you usually think about. Yeah, we, 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 the, reason that, uh, the reason that we also got excited was there were these young kids, as you see in the show, that um, Reed and Reed Galen and Steve Schmidt and Rick Wilson kind of opened with arms saying, come on, come join us. And a lot of them were Democrats and a lot of them had never worked with Republicans either. But I think it was that combination of the young and, and the, the, the older that, that made this show, our show dynamic and made us really excited about turning it from a movie into a series because all the characters became very interesting. I mean, we didn't, we didn't know that ultimately the Lincoln Project would, would, change directions and change course and half of the founders would would go off and do other things and and we didn't know that you know january 6th would be so horrible for the country but uh so but we we did know we had something cool although they did predict they did predict january 6th yeah but we didn't believe them i mean we didn't think it was that and they're saying this could happen i mean Stuart stevens actually i think or steve schmidt said the date january 6th in October when we were filming because they knew that's when the election had to be certified and they said watch January 6th shit is going to go down so yeah but uh, we obviously we didn't think it was going to be quite what it was there is a glee to being in the room when they're creating their ads 30 minutes let's write let's write a script the Trump plan after months of lies and empty promises, he told the terrifying truth. The Trump plan. After months of lies and empty promises, he told the terrifying truth. He wants to infect seven out of ten Americans with COVID. He wants to infect. I can't say that. That's not quite there. There's, uh, I think you used words like, well, you didn't say gratifying, but you talked about the emotional catharsis of getting to finally punch this guy in the nose. And I'm sure, Kamir, for you, or I would imagine that having documented to to hear Square and been under the thumb of an actual dictator and seeing this all play out, it was maybe more scary and a little familiar than you for a lot of Americans for whom it was shocking. But the question is, and this was a question that I had at the time and then in retrospect when we found out what we did about the Lincoln Project, which we'll get into in a second, I was wondering how effective 
is it? I mean, it feels good, but you're trying to persuade persuadables and just constantly insulting Donald Trump, including big ad buys in blue markets. Is that really moving the needle? And I was gratified to see that the film does tackle this. What, what do you conclude in the end? How much was it catharsis and how much was it? Well, maybe there's a third category, some sort of uh, fundraising, but how much really did the efforts of the Lincoln Project change anything? I left working with them feeling like they definitely had an effect on the election for, for, for different reasons, maybe. The, the obvious reason is that I think the data team uh, and the, the digital team really do, they did get into certain counties. They did focus, uh, we watched them focus quite a bit in Arizona and Georgia. Um, especially and, and Wisconsin and Michigan. They also did put a lot of energy and emphasis in Florida, which did not pay up dividends. And, um, but, but, but county by county, I would say they, they definitely focused on counties that turned blue. Um, however, the other way I think they were extremely effective, that is for sure uh, a fact, is that they got into the president's head. And they, they were distraction for him and his team, for Brad Pascal, for President Trump. And it took away time, energy, and effort on, uh, on their part to, to win the election. And they started to kind of uh, get, I think that, that was where they were also tremendously effective. The other thing is, I think, I think they got people inspired to vote, right? I mean, the other thing, it's not just turning voters, but it's getting people to the polls. Um, and that was another thing. I think they got people excited about voting, um, whether maybe some people who wouldn't have ordinarily voted, um, voting against Trump. Um, so in that sense, I would say they were effective. Now, were they as effective as they maybe hoped? When you saw episode, I believe, three, you see that they were as shocked as we all were that Trump got 75 million, 70, not quite 75, under, let's say, 74 plus million votes. Um, and um, they were quite shocked. They were also a bit disenchanted with the Senate races, losing uh, certain, you know, especially Alaska, where they put a lot of energy. Um, but I, I would say in the end, they were definitely effective. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one thing you got to think about with this is there's always this question of like trying to prove causation with with marketing campaigns like and, and, and communications campaigns in general. We I, I faced this similar question with. The 2016 election, because I made a film called The Great Hack about Cambridge Analytica and Facebook and the use of kind of that company's effect on Brexit and, and 2016 with Trump. And again, it was the same questions like, did Cambridge Analytica, you know, cause the 77,000 voters that like determined the election in three states or not? And I think that's kind of the wrong question. I think like what we can see in that case is, yes, they definitely were involved in voter suppression tactics that were very effective and in getting people to dissuade people from voting um and there's so much evidence of that the same thing goes with lincoln project like i don't think you're gonna be able to say the 2020 election without mentioning the lincoln project uh, as we go on in history because they were a formidable force um that, you know for me they're kind of like the way that music videos were in the 90s like is what their um ads are like you know there's these kind of things that we just kind of uh, tell stories and and look at and uh, and and they captured the cultural uh, imagination. And to Fisher's point, they trolled Trump better than anybody, and I think that in itself is a, is a huge feat, and and it kept him off balance. Um, 
you know, they took ads personally, like the ones they did against uh, Jared Navanka in Times Square. Like they really knew how to rattle them in a way that I don't think any Democratic uh, campaigners would have been able to do. And we will be back with the directors of the Lincoln Project in a moment. We are back with Fisher Stevens and Kareem Amir. And so I wanted to ask you gentlemen about how much impact the Lincoln Project really had. On the one hand, in Wisconsin, the margin was 20,000. In Georgia, it was 12,000. So, you know, six changing 6,000 votes. Uh, yeah, they could have done that. It's possible. It's possible that an ad or series of ads changed a few thousand people's minds or suppressed some turnout when margins are that small. Everyone or everything who was acting to play a role plausibly could have. But let's also remember, and I know you do, that there are other groups who are doing this at much larger scale than the Lincoln Project, right? The DNC, the Biden campaign, certainly thought to attack Donald Trump. And then there was a question of, is it distracted Donald Trump really so much easier to beat? The man is uh, dissolute and scattershot all the times. Is that a strength or at least is that some sort of superpower uh, generating a force field or is that a weakness? And as you know, and you know, you do know this, but when you're embedded with a group like this, you're assessing things through a soda straw. So it is hard to know the other effects, like all those other groups, like people just coming to conclusions by themselves that could have come into play to influence people's votes. And as you do point out in the documentary, even though we maybe pay attention to the ads, there was a lot going on under the surface. There was a lot of get out the vote efforts. Um, the kind of experts who, when they did it for Republicans, Democrats would always bemoan the dark arts. They're so good at this. Well, now it was being done in the service of d the Democrat Joe Biden to defeat Donald Trump, to micro-target, to push people to the polls. So, And we weren't seeing that as much as we were seeing the ads. So maybe there was some subcutaneous effort and you did document it. One thing that 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 to me personally was 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 important about these guys was that in a time in America where we don't see any examples of people being able to move you know uniform in the political you know um, spheres and change colors and 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 everyone's so regimented and stuck, I think uh, uh, the Lincoln Project was a home for you know, Republicans as well to, to, to leave the party and to question their party and to, and to, and to still say like, I love conservative politics, but, and I'm still conservative, but I disavow this party that has been turned into a, a cult. Trumpism is not ideology. Trumpism believes in adulation of the dear leader. And that's all it believes in. It's a cult. The alt-right took notes from ISIS about how to do this and yes. how to radicalize these people. Yes. And it's true. It is 100% true. And these are the same yeah. fanatic movements I've used throughout history to tell people, unless you are with us, everything will be destroyed. I think we underestimate the how important it is to to have people be able to move. And, um, and, and I think you see with the the state the state of things in american politics how dangerous it's become that this inability for any any anyone to criticize uh, donald trump who was in the party at the time and it did come at a cost for them as you document absolutely i mean they when we met them there was like 
there was i remember reed was like you know we you know canada is how far like they they were very uh they knew that this was a death blow like if they if if trump won they were going to destroy them you know and 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 the proof has been shown i mean uh, recently they found that uh what was it that the the what was the thing fisher with with meadows oh yeah they were being they were being investigated by mark meadows mark meadows was investigating reed galen steve schmidt uh rick wilson and Stuart stevens yeah oh no no they and william barr i mean they were definitely if trump had won they would have been anyway and and like we at the end reed had a noose delivered on his uh on his driveway you know i mean it, it, yeah it, it they stuck their necks out, so to speak. But, but um, you know, it, I have to say, I was also surprised how much we had a lot more in common than I, which was a beautiful thing. Like Kareem and I are so used to hanging around with our echo chambers, right? So it was really refreshing to hang around with smart people that didn't maybe think everything you thought, but also at the same time, you realized had a lot more in common than you thought. And they challenge you. They challenge you. You know, they challenge our own biases. You know, like we, we're, we, we, it's as to Fisher's point, like we hang around New York, LA, we're in our echo chambers. Uh, and, and it's easy to feel, uh, you know, to, to continue like that. And social media perpetuates that, right? So, um, you know, for us, it was, it was, it was fascinating to see this, this kind of, um, you know, people who had a different politics than we did, but everybody had the same mission. And I think that's what the, that's what we were sought out to capture is like, you know, everyone was like, you know, what am I doing? History is, is we're in a critical moment in history. And what did you do when Donald Trump was at the precipice of winning again? Did you stand back? Did you just complain on Twitter or did you try to do something? And I think, you know, it's, uh, you know, we saw it in Egypt and in, in Tahrir Square. We saw it in other places. Like it's very easy to sit on the sidelines and, and criticize and challenge and do this, but, you know, step into the ring, like, you know, and, and try something, do something. And, and a lot of, and you see, even especially, you know, let's, for, okay, forget about the older guys, but you see the young people who join Lincoln Project and we try to show them in, in, in the series, like these are people who are very bright and could be, you know, they could be making a lot more money working in finance or working for a hedge fund. And they're choosing to work in, you know, politics as young idealist American kids who, who believe that the country can be better and believe that they can use their skills to advance political, uh, you know, beliefs in the system and, and, and improve the system. So I think that, you know, those, those, those kids are pretty smart and they wouldn't have joined this banner if they didn't think it was effective. You know, they knew they were getting uh, an opportunity to kind of, to, to, to not only see how the political sausage is made, but to be a key part in in uh, in writing it, and and it was a place for advancement. I mean, like someone would start as an intern, and then all of a sudden they're like cutting videos, you know, and millions of people are seeing them. Like that's that's power, you know. Keith Edwards is, you know, all of a sudden a young guy, you know, a young gay kid from Michigan who lives in New York, and all of a sudden he's running one of the most powerful Twitter handles in the world, like. You know, like it's it, it was electric. It was, it was so powerful for that for these kids to be a part of this this movement. You know, and uh, and that's why it was also so devastating when things kind of fell apart. How things fell apart were there were twin scandals. I would say John Weaver, who's one of the founders, who was recovering from a heart attack and wasn't in Utah at the time, but is in the film. 
he sexually harassed more than 20 young men and he acknowledged this uh, harassment in an apology. And then, and then I think this is the more structural thing, the Lincoln Project raised $90 million, but they only spent something like $27 million on ads. Much of it was funneled into firms controlled by the group's leaders. And that's according to reporting from the AP, which I credit. No, no, that that's no, that's not that's not the the, the twenty seven million. So, so the, the, there's a there's a bunch of facts, and a lot of this is covered up legally by this new law, the old law, Citizens United, which basically creates super PACs, which makes basically allows you to not you don't have to be transparent. Twenty twenty seven million was billed to one entity. Twenty one million was billed to another entity. I, I have to say. In, in my opinion, the founders probably got, some of the founders got more well-paid than the others, but I still don't think anybody got rich. I mean, we we saw money being spent while we were there, for sure. But now I'm not here to defend anybody because I don't know the facts because nobody does except maybe a few people, but I don't think anybody got rich out of this thing. And I'm in show business. You know, I'm an actor. I make commercials sometimes, you know, if I need money. I know how much com- people make for making commercials. And uh, listen, nobody got rich, rich, but people made money for their for their craft. Maybe they took a little more, some of them, than they should have. I don't know. But I don't know why no one just came out and said, I made this, this, this. I think there's a lot of legal stuff. And I think, you know, it's funny. I remember Kareem and I having a conversation with George Conway about Citizens United. And George Conway was part of the Federalist Society, which is a whole other podcast you should do. Not with us, but with experts. But um you know, he's like, Citizens United, it's a good thing. And I'm like, no, it's not, George. It's why we're fucked. It's why the system is, doesn't work. And this is, you know, and, and by the way, the Democrats and the Republicans, as Ron Steslo says, all like this system because it's a it's a industrial political complex. And but I don't think, Michael, that anybody got super rich on this thing. And I and I and yet. As you can see by the film, we question constantly how much did you guys make. They didn't tell us fully, but I, me, and Kareem have done the we've we've done the math. Yeah. So what the AP reported is the Lincoln Project raised ninety million, only a third of the money, twenty seven million, directly paid for advertisements, and they also documented sums of twenty ish million to the firms controlled by uh, two of the founders. Is that wrong? No, no I, that that's a little, uh, yeah, that's a little misleading because because the, the 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 money went to the firms, it went to Summit Strategies and Tusk primarily, but then those groups so spent it flowed money. through the firms, but it didn't stay in the firms. Yeah, exactly, pay, exactly. Right, I get it. So if you pay a consulting firm twenty seven million, it's not like those go into the pockets of the founders. Obviously, you're paying a firm for some output. I get it. Exactly, because the way that headline reads, it makes it seem like they walked away. Yeah, with Yeah, it makes it seem like uh, a not, third, that, that, no, f- uh, fully two thirds of what people donated no, no, to no, the no. Lincoln Project saw nothing except bigger houses for the founders and YouTube. No, I, that's that's that that's that that's not true. They were spending they were spending five million a, a month on Facebook, on Facebook alone at the end, but that flowed through Tusk, right? And then because uh, listen, there, Kareem and I were there; they were. They were spending money. They were spending money, and and did they pay themselves well? Yeah, they did pay themselves well. Their rationale, right, is interesting. They're like, you know, what, what you know, would you pay? Why don't you balk at what like a, a top sports star gets paid for? Uh, you know, in 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 their craft, and and you know, and they don't get paid this every year, right? 
And when and when and when a free agent changes teams, it's not like he could never go back to well, not just the team, but any anything else in that walk of life. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Okay. So so and I think I think the other thing that we have to look at is it's like okay, we balk at that number, but it's like what about the amount that's totally spent on elections in general? Like this is a multi-billion-dollar business. I mean, you started talking, you know, in the podcast talking about the swashbuckling and and, and kind of pirate ship of it all, and it is a pirate ship. But the biggest booty and, and bounty, so to speak, is the American election. And whether it's Cambridge Analytica in 2016 or these guys now, or and more player people to come. Uh, we've opened ourselves up to and normalized the situation where our elections are a huge high stakes, you know, money game and the whole world's playing. And I, I, you know, I, I don't know what else has to happen for more alarm bells to ring and us to realize like we've got a systemic crisis and potentially the democratic kind of foundation of the country doesn't really work if it continues this way. I, I don't see how we can just keep turning this into this like mega mega spend um, and expect anything other than what we're getting. The Lincoln Project is the name of a new documentary series on Showtime. Its directors, Kareem Amir and Fisher Stevens, join me. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks, Michael. If you're interested in checking out The Lincoln Project, episode two airs on Showtime tonight, and all episodes are available on Paramount+. And that's it for today's show. Corey Wara is The Gist's assistant producer. He defected from local Illinois races, where candidate quality didn't matter, but audio quality was held in high regard. Joel Patterson is The Gist's senior producer. I have to keep telling him that his job is to ensorcel just listeners, not just stick it to listeners of The Daily and Today Explained. The COO of Peachfish Productions is Michelle Pesca. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast. If you have advertising inquiries, I suggest you go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. Oompru, jeepru, dupru. And thanks for listening. Donald Trump has had an enormous transformative effect on the GOP, and I think probably a fatal effect on the GOP. It is a philosophy we call a turd in the punch bowl. A phrase my grandmother used to love, and once you've got a turd in the punch bowl, it's not punch anymore, it's shit water.